Hey, I'm Gina. And I'm Tara. This podcast is a view into our lives as moms, social entrepreneurs, and best friends who hold nothing back. We talk about all the things our world has tried to keep silent. Things like our bodies. And all the stages and phases we go through. Entrepreneurship, parenting. And how it all intersects with life. Each podcast, we catch up with each other, and then we interview someone who pushes us to learn something new. For today's episode, we'll be talking to Sarah Reardon from The Vagina Whisperer. Stay tuned after our chit chat. How are you doing today? Good. Better, I guess. Well, last night I locked Ari out of the bedroom and I didn't realize it. (laughs) So he's kind of pissed off at me this morning. But the crazy thing was, is we were actually disagreeing a lot yesterday about like how to take (laughs) care of a situation we're having with my 12 year old, just like how to figure out how to make it better. Mm -hmm. And so we already were like kind of upset with each other, just like not getting on the same page. I was just like, I can't talk to you because you're not agreeing with me. Right, Right. Right. And Then, like, you know, we went about our day. Everything was fine. And then in the evening, I just remember being exhausted because of the vaccine. I literally have been up at 3 a.m. every single night. And at, like, 7.30 or 8, I just, like, went to bed. Well, apparently I locked the door. (laughs) I do remember, like, rolling over at some point in the night and realizing he's not there. Yeah. But, like, he falls asleep doing bedtime. All the time. All the time anyway, which annoys me. Right. And I was definitely like, oh, look at me. I'm all alone in the bed. That (laughs) bastard. (laughs) So I was, like, annoyed that he wasn't there. Meanwhile, at, like, 645, which is later for my household to be up. But Mondays are hard. I'm like laying there in bed. He usually brings me coffee, no coffee, (laughs) but I'm like, God, I got to get up and like go make my coffee and like get to work. And I reach for the door. Like I get up, get dressed, brush my hair, reach for the door and it's locked. And in that moment I realize I locked the door and he's (laughs) locked out. Did you find him like curled up on the floor outside the door? (laughs) No, I wish. But um, he was on the couch, pissed off. So I'm like, Ari, Ari, are you on the couch? Because the door was locked. And he just like looks at me. Oh, my God. I'm like, I didn't do that on purpose. And he just looks at me. And I'm like (laughs) realizing that I don't know how I'm going to get myself out of this because I wouldn't believe me either. But I'm like trying to figure out like I was so tired. I went to bed. You know, sometimes the the dogs will plow through the door. So, right, you know, right. it's like, did I lock it? And I just don't even rem- I mean, obviously I locked it. No one else was in the bedroom with me. Right. But but I'm like, I don't remember like being pissed off and locking it. That's so weird. Let's blame the vaccine. Can we blame <laughs> the vaccine? <laughs> so he's so tired. And like, he's the one who's always up early, like yeah. making the coffee, making the breakfast, like doing all the things. But he probably didn't sleep well, not only because he was on the couch, but because right. he was probably stewing because he From thinks the... I angrily locked him out. <laughs> and I said, honey, did you knock? And he was like, yes, I oh, did. No. Did you and have I your headphones like, in from like, no, an I audiobook? Didn't. No. Oh, yeah. So I made Sagan a crepe and then I left for work and I don't know. I'm in trouble. Maybe not. Maybe not. (laughs) That's really funny. Unconsciously locking your husband out of the room. 
Wow. I definitely would have plowed through the door. There's like, I have that fight in me where if like the door was locked, I'd be like, oh, I'm going to like break into the door and Mm. go to bed, which is probably not the best approach, but it's definitely like, I don't know if I would just... Well, I was thinking, like, why didn't he call me? Yeah. Because my phone is right next to me all the time. Um, or send me an angry text or something. Like, something. I maybe I would I would have woken up if the phone rang, I yeah. think, for sure. Yeah. But, you know, that's just not his way. He was probably just like, whatever. I'm going to stew and think about this and not sleep well. And Ugh. Sarah Reardon is a doctor of physical therapy graduating from Washington University in St. Louis and board-certified women's health physical therapist. Sarah specializes in treatment of pelvic floor disorders, including pelvic pain, bowel and bladder dysfunction, painful sex, and pregnancy, as well as postpartum recovery. She is the owner of NOLA Pelvic Health, a pelvic health physical therapy clinic in New Orleans, Louisiana, and founder of the Vagina Whisperer, an online resource for pelvic health education to support, empower, and educate women worldwide. She is a mom of two boys, wife, Saints fan, and wannabe yogi. You can find her on Instagram at the Vagina Whisperer, where she has over 198,000 followers. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, it's so exciting to be here with both of you. Oh, hi, Sarah. I love seeing your face again. It's been a while. I know. It's been a wild year. So I have to just tell you that I totally stalk you on social media, right? Just like everyone. You have such a a strong, powerful voice there. And one of your Instagrams have really jumped out. And um, a couple weeks ago, I actually saved one of your posts because uh, although we're going to talk a lot about pelvic floor health, I also am really interested in you as an entrepreneur and the way you're really building uh, momentum with your business. And I was really moved by what you should call your vagina and vulva or what you should not, I think was the way you phrased it. And so I was sitting in this space of like, okay, here's someone who I call a friend, Sarah who's, I know, sitting at a desk one day coming up with this and like planning out your content calendar, right? So it's chi-chi, cha-cha, cookie, coochie, hoo-ha. This is in alphabetical order. So (laughs) as someone in this space, I'm noticing you started alphabetically. How far did that go? And how did you decide which ones to put up here? That is so funny. And it's actually interesting to hear other folks um, kind of wonder how, you know, what my thought process is. And as you both as working mothers and, you know, um, entrepreneurs can imagine, you don't actually have a lot of time to think about things. So it's really me in between a meeting and picking up kids and, you know, getting my husband to grab a camera in between his meetings or whatever the case may be that I'm literally just putting these things up there and there wasn't a lot of rhyme or reason. I did have one person from the community message me and say, you were doing all C's and I was like, wait for it, wait for it. And then you ended with hoo-ha <laughs> so, and left out another C word. And I was like, I didn't even realize that. So a lot of this is just, you know, kind of organic and where I don't even really have time to think about it or do as much editing as I want because we're so busy and it just, um, it just kind of comes out and sometimes I miss the mark and sometimes I, I get it right. So that was maybe a time I just got lucky and got it right. Oh, yeah, that definitely resonates with us. I mean, 
you have to be playful and in, like embrace the ridiculousness of it. Like the balancing with the kids and in between all the things. And I think if we don't embrace the playfulness of social media and what it looks like forward facing, it would be a, an even more harder to do and pull off with our busy lives. I want to take while we're on the note of what to call vaginas or what not to call vaginas. Um, I want to take a step back and really talk about how you came up with the name, the vagina whisperer. Well, I um, wish I could take credit for it, but I actually, it was my group of college friends that came up with it. So after graduate school, when I jumped right into the field of pelvic floor therapy, and this was almost 15 years ago when it was kind of awkward and people used to kind of scoot over two seats when I started telling them about what I did. And now it's become a little bit more interesting and mainstream. But every summer we would get together at a friend's house and I would end up in the hot tub with their moms talking about bladder issues. And they would say, oh, my gosh, she's like the vagina whisperer, you know. And so it really they're the ones who gave me the name. And then when I started my Instagram account about four years ago, it was for this group of friends where we were all having babies around the same time. And I was writing the same email over and over to help with birth preparation. And I said, I'm just going to put this out there so that they can all find it when they need it. And that's really how the Vagina Whisperer account started. I love that. And I love just thinking about the generational story about that, where like you're sitting in the hot tub with the moms talking about these things because Tara and I fully believe in storytelling and this is how we get these, this education out there, right. And really get these conversations going. It's the most important piece about talking about the things that, you know, not a lot of folks talk about, but we all have so many questions about, um, how I'm curious about how, how the social media presence plays a role in your practice. You know, like how many questions do you get on your social media account versus like, how do you filter that into your private practice and what you do in New Orleans, New Orleans locally? So really the Instagram account, which is pretty wild started before, again, it was, I was pregnant with my second son and I always felt like, I wish I could just share this more with more people than the, the folks who were just walking into my office in Dallas, which is where I was living at the time. And then I took a year off and moved to New Orleans after my son was born. And that's when I started having just much more time to document my day-to-day and share more public health tips. And in response to social media, people were saying, oh, hey, you're back in New Orleans. I want to come see you. Or, hey, can we do, we chat on the phone. I have some questions. And so that's how the online session started. And then that's how the in-person session started. And then it's really all been in response to what folks are looking for. You know, even a year ago when the pandemic happened, there were so many people messaging me saying, my childbirth classes are canceled. Where can I go for help? Or I can't see my physical therapist. So then we started the online courses. So again, I I wish I had this kind of crystal ball and the ability to have foresight as to what people want or need. But a lot of what I've done has just been in response to what people have asked for. And that has helped really guide me on, okay, maybe this would be helpful. And maybe this might be something that people need as well. Mm, Yeah. What is one of the most common questions that you get? You know, I think it's something painful sex is probably one of the more common. I think we talk a lot about postpartum. We talk a lot about leakage and, um, you know, maybe pooping, but painful sex, there's a level of intimacy that's there. And sometimes a level of privacy, of shame, of um, discomfort that a lot of us sit in and we don't always feel comfortable sharing it. And we also don't know who to talk to about it. Do I tell my doctor? Do I tell my doula? Do I tell my 
um, therapist and, and where do we seek help for that? And so I would say behind the scenes, that's probably one of the more common questions I get. And then even think, you know, people are thinking before I gave birth, I even had some discomfort with sex or, you know, pelvic exams. Oh, they're painful, but aren't they painful for everyone? And so really, I think that's probably one of the more common questions we get. Um, and along with, um, should I do Kegels, <laughs> which is you know, going to be the question we answer for the next 50 years. So, <laughs> yeah. And what's your answer? It, it depends. You know, if you have weakness, then yes. But a lot of a lot of individuals have pelvic floor muscle tension, which can cause painful sex or other types of pain or discomfort, which Kegels would not be the right thing. Right. I love um, that you're talking about painful sex. And I'm curious, this is also coming up before having children, right? So I have a personal story myself. And I wonder where you sit clinically, like when you're talking, but I remember being very young and experiencing painful sex. And I now look back and attribute it to being on birth control. Um, And when I think about going to my OB and bringing up that um, conversation that never came to be. It never surfaced. It was just like, well, I don't know. What's the size of your partner? I was like, I don't know. I'm 18. I don't, I think he's normal. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I, it, I couldn't even answer that question really. Um, but looking back now with the knowledge of like a middle-aged woman, I'm like, oh, I was on birth control and we weren't using lubrication. And like, there's just so many things that get in the way of us getting information. So when you're working with a client, what is your process of kind of like breaking it down to get to the root of the problem so that you can actually help them? Right. So a lot of what we do is talking. I mean, in the very beginning, the very first session, it's asking a lot of questions and they may be coming in for, you know, discomfort with intercourse or pain. Again, maybe never having had children, but I'll ask them about their bladder function, about their exercise habits, about um, medications, about pooping habits. And so really doing kind of a more comprehensive assessment versus targeting on a symptom they're experiencing, because my goal is to get to the root of the problem. And we hear these things so often, kind of these patterns of issues that people may experience. And then our physical assessment, which often entails an internal pelvic floor muscle assessment through the vagina, really confirms it. It says, yep, there's some tension there. There's some vaginal dryness. The tissue appears thin, and this may be something to help. And it's so interesting you bring that up because I really, having been on birth control myself for 16 years and having very little awareness of the short or long-term effects of that, absolutely, being on hormonal birth control can thin and dry your vaginal tissues. And we just don't even know that that's a side effect, a potential side effect, and then what do we do for help? And so um, it's a common thing I see actually in our practice for young women, but even postpartum when we get back on birth control, if you get back on birth control. Right. It's like all these big transitions um, during our lives, uh, I think, are where a lot of the questions come up. And then we don't know where to go always. So that's why I'm so grateful that you're here and people are learning more. Don't you believe about physical therapy? Um, I feel like in the U S we probably do less of a good job of spreading that awareness. Uh, my experience, like working with moms in European countries are, it's really built into the system. Um, what can you say about that? Is that true? I don't know. That's just what I've observed, but is that true? And like, what can we do on the ground here? Um, other than spreading information about, you know, your Instagram account too, but even in like the doula world or, um, in other ways, like how can we really share that information? That's a great question. So to answer the question, 
the first part of it is, yeah, there is definitely a difference between, I think, not just pelvic health physical therapy being a little bit more mainstream and built into maternal health care or women's health care in other countries. Um, but there's also just a difference in how people maybe care for moms postpartum in other countries. And so it's really kind of a, a societal um, kind of system that we don't have in our culture. I think that the culture that I know in the U.S., especially for moms, is get back to work. There's no paid leave. Um, there's very little breastfeeding support. Our communities are spread out now among multiple states. And, and it's just a different, um, it's just a different construct and it works against us, you know, and it makes it really hard, I think, to heal and to get information from other generations that maybe we, you know, maybe were built into a community before. You know, I, when I really think, and, and this kind of leads back to the, the post I shared about what to call your vulva and vagina. And even in that, I mean, that came up, I was driving with my sister. We're both vaccinated now and we could, for the first time, be in a car mm -hmm. and go somewhere. And we were talking about this and she's the one who calls her daughter's vulva a chichi. And I said, a chichi? <laughs> I was like, where do you come up with that? She's like, I don't know. I just heard it somewhere. And I just <clears> kind of started sharing her some of the research and the data and for me, that's kind of what I, I'm in research, I'm in science, I'm in medicine. So I base a lot of my decisions off of that. And she's like, oh, that's a good point. Maybe I should start doing it differently. And I'm thinking, this is my own sister who just is like, calls it a chichi, you know? <laughs> so that was the inspiration for that post. But I think it really is bringing it back to the basics. And when I think about when I was a young woman and I got my period for the first time, it was my mom gave me a book. And she said, let me know if you have questions. And that was it. And when I was in high school, I mean, I remember like a visual of like a sperm being drawn to an egg on a whiteboard. And that's what I remember of sexual education. But it wasn't pelvic health. It wasn't saying, hey, these are some things that could happen. This is how this part of your body works. And then even during pregnancy, you know, another major change or maybe even when you have a pelvic exam, we don't even know what's happening to our bodies. We kind of just are passengers in the process. So I think, you know, what you're doing here by helping, um, you know, just share, you know, 101, there are muscles down there, there is anatomy down there, this is what it does, but then really bring it back to the basics as parents, as educators, as healthcare providers, as birth workers. Yeah, it's really, it is really, I think our personal, my personal mission, and I know I can speak for Tara on this too, our personal mission to really have these conversations early on. Um, with people and especially my children, you know, it's like, I want them to be comfortable enough to come to me and ask questions. I want them to be like comfortable to talk to their friends about this. And just really, I, our hope is that it just kind of spreads like wildfire that these like people understand their bodies. They feel comfortable and confident to ask questions and like, just have dialogue. I think it's again, like storytelling plays such a huge role in this. And it makes me really happy and proud when I hear my daughters talking to each other and asking each other's questions and being like, what is that stuff over there by our vulva? And I'm like, just, I'm just listening, letting them like manage the conversation. But I really like to, you know, just be there for them, hoping that they can feel comfortable enough to talk to me about it. Cause I do think setting them up with this foundation of confidence really does it piques their interest and in learn more about their bodies and understand the capabilities and the importance of knowing these things. Right. And I really, feel like they have a say. 
Right. I feel like they have a say in what happens to my body right. where I want it. And, and also like the pleasure piece, if we're talking about sex always gets me like, I want my kids to know that like people have sex actually because it feels good and <laughs> let's learn the parts. And no, I remember my, my son brought this up and he was just like, you know, I just don't understand why anyone would do it. And I was like, Oh, well, it's because it, it feels good. And he was like, with all that hair, it feels good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this was the, his, you know, seven-year-old response. And I was just like, yeah, and it ended there. But it doesn't have to be this big mystery, right? So totally. if you put a name to it, like you're talking about on Instagram, it kind of starts there with, like, being able to say what it is yeah. and then exploring and learning and knowing that it's yours. Right. And I'm <laughs> learning. I mean, I think that, you know, I wasn't having I wasn't having these conversations with my children and now they're four and almost six and so they're saying mom why do you where's your penis and I'm going I don't have a penis and they're like well, what do you have you know and then where's that <laughs> tampon going I mean it's like you know our house is kind of open doors all the time which you know is um, it's a lot you know there's no peaceful poops anymore but it's it's even myself <laughs> I'm learning and find myself kind of pausing and saying okay how do I respond to this and so really just the other day, one of them asked me, like, why do we have eyebrows? And it's the same way when they say, why do we have pubic hair or what is the hair down there? It's like we should be able to answer these questions in kind of very practical, simple ways that demystifies it and doesn't make it so kind of secretive or icky. And we just kind of talk about our bodies because it's parts of our bodies. Yeah, absolutely. And then, and then as a doula, what I see and what I hope for my own children is – and when you decide to have a baby, if you decide to have a baby, you know about your pelvic floor and you understand why your pelvic floor is important to keep healthy and how it will serve you for the rest of your life. Right. Um, and then there's just not this big disconnect. Right. Um, and even yeah, partners and then can be aware. You know, I think a lot of us experience some of these symptoms in secrecy. And our partners aren't included in that process or aware of it. And so I think that it can, again, feel like you're really suffering in silence, even in, within your own home. And so having them kind of be aware of some of the issues that can happen or prevent them or how they can kind of be supportive in a way. Absolutely. I really, um, it's, I was, as I was like thinking about this conversation with you, I was like, it's going to be really hard to avoid personal stories and questions because it's so much a part of what we do in my body. But I have a question for you that I would think would be really helpful to just get the perspective of like what the pelvic floor is for some folks who don't know and just like how, how to think about it. Because like for me professionally, I have that definition in my mind. And then for me personally, as someone who's given birth two times, I have that definition. And my personal story and my question is I have this new realization that um, – I have a lot of incontinence since I've had my first child, not even my second. My cesarean birth, I think, played a huge role in that. And so if I'm like jumping, running, sneezing, all the things, right, I constantly like my underwear is now incontinence underwear. It's just like part of my life. But I've noticed that if I wear a menstrual cup, it doesn't happen. And I was like, that is really interesting. So I'm like, anatomically, I would love to hear your perspective of like why that's the case. And I know it probably has to play a role with the muscles, but I would love to hear how you would describe why that is. <laughs> yeah. And it's great that we can share these personal stories because, you know, again, we're in this field. And so it's, we all have pelvic floors. And even though we know what they do and how to maybe, you know, um, 
address some issues, it doesn't mean that we're immune to, to to changes in them. And so I think it's great that we can say and kind of share our personal stories that so others, because they probably have the same questions. Um, so I'll kind of just start with what the pelvic floor muscles are. And, and I describe them like they're a basket of muscles that sit at the base of your pelvis. So we kind of know what the pelvic bones look like, the skeletal bones. And if you can imagine at the very bottom of that, there's a little red hammock of muscles. And those muscles attach from the pubic bone to the tailbone and then side to side. And they support your organs. So your bladder that holds urine, your rectum that holds poop, your uterus that holds a, a growing fetus during pregnancy. And in males, there, there's the prostate. But so that hammock is supportive. And what happens during pregnancy is, um, so regardless of what method of birth your baby is born, um, during pregnancy, those muscles stretch and lengthen. And again, when you think about a hammock supporting a blueberry or an avocado, there's not that much of a change. But when you think of it supporting a pumpkin or a watermelon, there's a significant change to the, the support of that hammock. So that's why even after any type of birth or any pregnancy, you can have some weakness to the area. Um, with cesarean birth specifically is that there's a lot of tension that can arise around the scar, that, that fascia is connected from the abdominal wall to the pelvic floor. And so what we see a lot is there may be weakness, but when we're asking those muscles to contract, they're kind of stuck. And they're not mm -hmm. able to, you know, we think of a bicep, you bend your elbow the whole way and the muscle contracts. With the pelvic floor, if it's kind of stuck, you're not able to get that full contraction to help prevent leakage when there's pressure with a jump or a cough or a sneeze. Um, what can also happen is that the bladder starts to kind of push into the vaginal wall, which is called prolapse. So you just have less support there. And then when you insert the menstrual cup, it's like re-supporting the bladder. So it's, you know, that, it. that you're going in through the vagina, kind of giving it a little more support and holding the walls up because the bladder's not pushing in as much. So menstrual cups are actually a great option for, for leakage, for prolapse, um, for periods, um, and there are a couple, I even tell people just to use a super tampon if they exercise or if they're going to go do something, just put a super tampon in if, if it's comfortable for you and you can try that. So I think that there's things, simple tips that can help with that, but it's really just giving you more support that the muscles aren't giving you right now. Absolutely. It's like, <laughs> it's such a buzzkill though. Like last night, my girls and I were dancing around to bikini kill and I was like, hang on one second, gotta go to the bathroom. <laughs> and totally. I was like, such, you know, it's like, and this is just a reminder of like what we, what I want to discover, what I want to work on. Um, but just having the time and the know-how to go about that. I think for some people who have dove, like experience physical therapy, it is a time commitment. It is. Uh, it is. How do you approach that with your clients? You know, that it, you do it when the season is the right season for you. You know, ideally I'd love to see every, every birthing person six weeks postpartum in our clinic, but that is not always possible. It's not always affordable. It's not always feasible with childcare, work, finances, health, whatever the case may be. So I think that you go when there is space, you know, and I think oftentimes and kind of unfortunately, I feel like we go as moms to get help when things are bad enough versus kind of targeting them earlier. We're like, oh, something's changing. I should get it checked out. We kind of wait until we're like, okay, this is really affecting my quality of life or the time I have with my kids or my intimacy with my partner. And then we go. Um, and I, you know, even for my own personal story, I started having painful sex maybe two months ago. And, um, I've been doing a lot of cycling and spinning in this past year of COVID. And I know that that creates more tension in my pelvic floor personally. And I went and saw our physical therapist in our, our clinic, one of my partners, 
And after six sessions, I was like, wow, I am 95% better. And I just had to make the commitment to go because I knew that that's what I needed. And I started to get to the point where I was like, I don't even want to have sex anymore. And even for myself, waited until it was like, okay, now it's time. I love that you shared that. Thank you. Um, yeah, personally for me, I once peed on wall street, like literally, (laughs) literally on the street. Um, I actually don't have a lot of incontinence since giving birth, but there were like times, like maybe the first two months after giving birth to each child, I have three. Um, I couldn't laugh. You know, I've definitely peed on the floor of a hotel room once with Gina because we're, (laughs) we're besties and, you know, I laugh my hardest with her. And so if you put us on a trip and we go somewhere, like I'll, that's a time I'll pee, but on my day to day life, like I'm cool. It's, it's okay. Um, but I will say I had, um, a time where after I knew I was having my last, I really wanted like someone to look at everything and tell me like it was good. And the response was not what I wanted. The doctor was like, oh God, you've had three kids. Like your vagina looks great. And I was like, well, for someone with three kids, but what's really going on down there? Oh, a little bit of prolapse, but like, honestly, it's good. And I was like, no, that's not enough. And I feel like that's what you get here if you go to an OB. And so I really think pelvic floor health, like from a PT, like I want everyone to go to a PT who like specializes in this because it's just different. It's looking at you holistically, not just like, oh, well, you've been ruined at this point with three kids, so you're okay. Right. (laughs) No, like, how can I be the healthiest I can be? Right. And that's a great question. So even when we talk about kind of societally, why don't we talk about these things? I think in our, it feels like a lot in the U.S., it's a lot of like putting out fires versus preventing fires. And I really feel like Mm. with physical therapy, even if someone were to have surgery for a prolapse or incontinence, I'm like, well, let's get you in and make sure that you're doing exercises properly, that rehab on the other side goes well. So we can set you up for success versus just saying, let's fix this problem and send you on your way and we'll see you in 10 years when it happens again. So it's really kind of looking at the root cause of, of issues and trying to give you know, options for people for at home. So even Gina, it's, you know, I say, sometimes we just see people two to three times in our clinics and then we say, work on these Mm -hmm. exercises. There's a ton of resources that you can do at home now. Let's just make sure that you're doing them properly and then kind of check back in as you need us. Yeah. That's so helpful to hear again, like as a busy working parent, like making the time and space to go to an appointment just seems so hard. But I mean, that is like a lesson of, or kind of like a learning that we've all had from this pandemic is that there's so much now that we can do from our computer. Right. Right. (laughs) And I, you know, I love how you've pivoted your business in that way. Like you were doing it, these online learnings beforehand, but I'd love to hear too, like professionally, how that impacted you this past year and how, um, your learning shifted your, you know, your offering shifted after everybody was home. Um, tremendously it shifted. And so, you know, I had always wanted to do more digital stuff, but again, you're kind of doing your day to day. We're busy and I just never really carved out the time to do it. And so, you know, when again, COVID started one, I think it, we all were able to take a little bit of a breath, you know, at least from the personal work that we're the, the professional work that we're doing. And it almost allowed this time to be creative and to think, oh, what do I really want to do now? And and when I'm not seeing clients all day, which is I love, I love one-on-one and I'll always want to do that. But we're, you know, kind of tapping into that create creativity a little bit more. And um, 
So we were able to start some of these online webinars, which we offer once a month. Um, some of them are on um, pregnancy and childbirth preparation and postpartum, and some are on other topics, you know, relieving muscle tension, constipation, menstrual health. And then one of the bigger projects that I completed was a pregnancy fitness program with another um, fitness professional, and it's focused on pelvic floor issues, um, prevention, and exercises that are kind of pregnancy safe in a way that is going to minimize abdominal and pelvic floor weakness. So, you know, I think that it was just really an opportunity to say, how can we again get this information to, to pregnant women, pregnant people, and prevent issues? If we're able to work with them during pregnancy, then we can, you know, potentially help prepare them for birth. And then that may also minimize some of the postpartum uh, weakness or trauma or, um, you know, side effects that they may experience. So it's, it's almost 50% of my business now, or it was maybe 10% before. Wow. Yeah. That is a big shift. Is there, are there, well, what are the recommendations and like tips that you have for really any, anybody, any human out there to really get to know their pelvic floor, like things that they can do to care for it every day, just simple things before, you know, something goes wrong. <laughs> um, really basic. I mean, I, I always kind of go over like peeing and pooping 101. And this, these are things that we can teach <laughs> children as well of, you know, when you pee, you just sit down and relax. Your bladder is really a muscle that's pushing the pee out for you. You, you don't have to push your strain. I think as, as moms, I, I always call us power peers. Like we're trying to rush through everything and, and pee <laughs> as fast as possible or hover over the toilet seat and just push it out. But really those repetitive actions can cause weakness over time. And um, so just really sit, relax, let your bladder do the work. Don't push when you pee. For pooping, I'm a big fan of a squatty potty. Um, I have my kids use one. I use one. It's physiologically the best thing to do when you're pooping is to put a little stool under your feet and um, bring your knees up so you're squatting and then, you know, trying to um, push out as you exhale, so not holding your breath when you're pushing. Um, that's really effective for minimizing um, some weakness of the pelvic floor muscles. And then really birth preparation. If you are um, planning to birth, I think that one of my patients said it best when um, she said, it's nice to like learn what you actually need to do before you have have to do it. And so we're sending folks into, you know, the birth experience without awareness of how to relax their muscles, how to breathe, different options for position. And I think that that really plays a role in why we have a large C-section rate right now is because we're not giving people options for their bodies, which are all different. And medical professionals in those um, labor and delivery or the birthing world aren't necessarily trained on mechanics and muscles and how to use positioning to facilitate that process. So there's, you know, just some of those basic 101 things that I think could really help minimize symptoms. Thank you so much. That was really, really informative and helpful. Can you share where folks can find you and how to learn more? Sure. So um, my biggest presence is on Instagram at the Vagina Whisperer. And um, it's the period vagina period whisperer. Believe it or not, there's another one out there. <laughs> and um, my website where we have a lot of information is on um, online at thevaginawhisperer.com. And so we have a lot of our online courses and, and just also a ton of free information about, you know, blog posts, not just pregnancy, postpartum, but just general pelvic health stuff as well. Um, one thing I do want to add that I really want to thank you for, Tara, is earlier this year, you know, you all have always at DTI really um, 
you know, offered scholarships and things like that for um, birth professionals and, and wanting to do others wanting to do doula training. And I really wanted to be able to have folks who weren't able to afford our private pay services have access to them. So we also started some pro bono online sessions and in-person sessions at um, our New Orleans clinic. So we now have an application where folks can apply for pro bono or citing skill services. So again, that um, cost is not a barrier so that people can get the help that they need. Thank you so much for adding that in. I love hearing that. Yeah, well, I appreciate you. I mean, we had a little conversation and I said, tell me what you're doing and how you're doing it. And I was it's <laughs> really helpful to be able to connect with others who um, had a, a similar mission and were already doing the work. Wow. Well, you are so welcome. Reach out anytime. And I've learned so much from you over the years as well. So my pelvic floor helps <laughs> or thanks you. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Sarah, so we like to play a game with our guest where it's a spinner game and we spin a wheel and it has, there's about 23 different questions and whatever question it lands on, you have to answer. Do you want to play? Okay, absolutely. (laughs) I love games. Awesome. And of course, it's all based around reproductive health. I would expect nothing less. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we're going to spin the wheel. All right, Tara, what is the question? The question is, can you recall the day you first got your period and tell us that story? Yes, actually, I can recall it very well. Um, I was 10 when I got my first period, and it was the same day that I was getting braces. And I was at the orthodontist (sighs) in the bathroom, and my mom was waiting for me. And I remember going to the bathroom, and I was like, (gasps) and I knew what was happening. I had an older sister, and... I told my mom, I go, mom, I, I think I just started my period. And she goes, oh, well, I don't have anything for you. So let's just wait till we get home. <laughs> so oh, I, no. I sat in the orthodontist chair for three hours getting braces thinking, oh my gosh, am I bleeding? Am I bleeding? And I had taken toilet paper and wadded it up and kind of shoved it in my undies. And I was like, this is the worst day of my life. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and it wasn't. I mean, I got braces and got my period on the same day, but it is a very memorable day for me. I mean, talk about a coming of age story right there. That's awesome. Oh my God. Thank you for sharing that with us, Sarah. That's a great story. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time today, Sarah. We really appreciate it. Anytime. I love chatting with y'all. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you're interested in learning more about these topics, be sure to head to our shop and grab our book, Born Into This, A Creative Guide to Reproductive Health. You can find all of this and more information about Born Into This at bornintothis.co. 